So welcome to the co- another episode of the Coach's Notes podcast. And today I've got a fantastic gentleman, fellow coach, fellow outstanding human being, Andy Chandler. Love that. Uh, probably one of the most energetic coaches that I've met. And he has a, he would have made a good army man, definitely, because he has a very, very super can-do attitude which i haven't necessarily found a lot in the civilian sector i mean anything you throw at andy it's like oh yeah and then off we go <laughs> and uh and very good at challenging the status quo as well and then when we did some work together you know people would come and say here's how we do this thing and you were very quick to say well why and then what else could be done and then i just like the way that you tackle um the sort of status quo anyway i'll let you introduce yourself as well and tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do and get into it because today we're going to talk about um how do you manage your resilience and subtext to that would be dealing with uncertainty which we're all finding ourselves having to do yeah clay it's lovely to see you again and thank you that's for those lovely words um yeah so I'm a, I'm an eternal optimist. I was kind of hardwired for optimism is kind of my starting point. I was on a course recently where we're doing work around strengths in particular, and there is just no doubt, whatever I do, even if I fought it and I don't fight it, I am um, uh, very optimistic and very enthusiastic. Those are just two, those are just two particular strengths that play out all of the time. Um, so who am I? Quickly, I'm a, I'm a dad. Um, I'm a husband, I'm a son, I'm a brother and I'm a friend. That's kind of starting point when I'm not doing that, I'm a coach. Um, and it's taken a long time by the way, to even be able to say the words, I'm a coach, um, without going, God, am I really a coach? (laughs) Um, so, so after having had, uh, many years not being a coach and many years in corporate life, um, I decided, uh, at the coincidentally, at the age of 50, shocker, Damn. to decide that it was time for a change. And so it was going to go one or two ways. It was either going to be, um, you know, a Harley and a Russian girlfriend, uh, or it was going to be a change of career. And we decided that a change of career would be better for everybody. So, <laughs> so I'm now a coach and I've been coaching for a while. I've been coaching for many years, but in terms of my own business for the last couple of years and um, yeah, I love what I do. I love, I love being involved in people's stories, uh, trying to understand how things work and trying to be useful uh, rather than helpful, actually. Trying to be useful is really important to me. That's interesting. Can you just uh, elaborate on that? What's the difference between being helpful and use, useful? Yeah, well, I think uh, for me, there's a, there's a couple of things. The first is um, I did some work with a guy called John Whittington. God knows... Um, Last year and the beginning of this year as well, he, he's a really great individual and he does a lot of work around what's called systemic coaching in constellations. Um, we can all, I'm sure everybody can look it up in terms of what that is, but, but he had, he had some, yeah, systemic coaching in constellations by um, John Whittington and it's just great work and really interesting and really relevant. Um, but he, he had a saying, which is where I pick this up from which is around wanting to be useful um, versus helpful and I asked him exactly the same question you just asked me and what he said was well the reason I want to be useful rather than helpful is 
the desire to be helpful is putting my need to be helpful ahead of your need. And actually, as a coach, that's not okay. So I'm going to be useful to you. I'm not going to be helpful. Okay. So there's some semantics in there, but I like the idea of recognizing that the as a as a coach, we we sometimes I guess are drawn to coaching through the desire to be helpful. But yeah. when that crosses into the desire to fix, um, I think that that becomes something which is more about us as a rescue rescuing type figure than it is about actually somebody who's absolutely in the service of the client come what may. So yeah, yeah that's where that came from. But yeah, yeah. so well done, John Whittington. Gotta love that man. Okay. So I quite like, I like the way you've just kind of put that, you know, the whole sort of being useful aspect and cause you're right. I think a lot of people may be drawn to the profession um, from, you know, help, help. I want to help people do a thing, whatever that thing might be. Um, and I do find if you put yourself in, the useful spot then you you're giving the client what they need whatever that might be to help them get past what they need to get past versus maybe having to make them go down a track that you want them to go down yeah will help them yeah i agree and i think the for me because i'm a not only optimistic and enthusiastic uh i'm i'm quite a people pleaser i think at heart and so being useful kind of gives me permission because being helpful sometimes comes across as like, I don't know, maybe not being prepared to challenge much, not being prepared to say the stuff that's tricky. Right. Whereas, you know, when I've got it in my mind, I want to be more useful. I don't know, somehow it kind of makes it okay. Well, actually, you know, I know it's going to be more useful to my client if I point this out. Yeah. But if I say the thing that I kind of know is what's going on or what I think is going on, I'd rather say that thing than actually be quiet. Um, so so yeah. I say whenever I'm working with uh, uh, new coaches, yeah, one of the things that I'll say to them is the question that you want to ask, the quiet one in your brain that you think oh, I can't ask that. That's the one you want to ask. <laughs> because yeah. you have those ones, and you'll be like, oh, I can't ask that, and you'll stifle it. But that's huh. the question that you do need to ask. <laughs> you know, I so, like that a lot, and and I, I don't know about you, Claire, but I find sometimes before i've even consciously i'm aware of what that question is i get that uh i get that feeling i get that twisting mm. uh, or tension in my body which i'm trying to get more attuned to where i suddenly think god yeah hang on a minute something going on here mm. before then i'm consciously aware of yeah okay this is what i'm aware of here's a question that needs to be asked which is really, it's really interesting so you kind of really feel it particularly as you're, as you're kind of coaching, you really think, God, actually, there is something here. You can yeah. really, send, I really feel it at first. And that's when I think coaching is at its best, when you can be a real intuitive coach using your sort of subconscious to let that drive you because it's a, it's a powerful tool that's picking up on things that you aren't consciously necessarily aware of. And it gives, you know, you'll navigate in the right direction that you need to navigate, I think. So, yeah. So yeah. And I take, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a skill for one and I think it takes courage to coach in that way as well because you don't know where you're actually going to go either so you have to have that I always say you have to um, be confident in the fact that you know what to do when you don't know what to do yeah I love that you're going to hang on to that then you're okay to let go you're not trying to control the situation so and that's one of the things I love about coaching you just 
don't know where the heck you're going to go <laughs> and yeah. what tool you're going to need to, to use and any of that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's fantastic. That's inter- I mean, that's interesting. I mean, even with your army um, analogy, the, you know, my whole, I think my whole career has in a way it's been punctuated by running towards the sound of gunfire. Mm. And I think coaching in a way maybe holds an element to that. I don't know whether, I don't think it's quite, it's not danger obviously in the literal sense, but it is, that idea of getting into territory that you may not have encountered before yeah, um, and, and just holding that space, just being present there, not, not running away, um, not acting too quickly, but actually just being. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I definitely recognize that. That old so- stoic saying, isn't it? The obstacle is the way. Yeah. Yes. If you're looking, you want to know the answer? There you go. There, the obstacle. So cool. So, um, we wanted to talk about how do you manage your resilience? Now, where did that question generate from you? Because I think it was something, oh, I know we're all in that kind of space, considering all the things that are going on with the COVID-19 and the lockdown. Yeah. Um, but why is that question particularly relevant for you at present? Yeah, so I think uh, probably a few reasons. The first is that the, um, yeah, I mean, definitely the whole COVID thing, and what has been going on for for the world, um, and the fact that f- for many for many of us um, who aren't in um, you know the NHS, for example, for many people that are operating in services which which aren't considered kind of essential in that way, we suddenly find ourselves kind of confined to quarters, mm. um, doing our bit by kind of glorious isolation. And and I was very interested, clearly, in terms of the experience I went through when that first happened, and and how I how I felt and how I managed that, and the things that I was conscious of and the things that I probably wasn't conscious of. And so that kind of resilience definitely came to mind because I think it was a real test for me personally of my resilience. Mm-hmm. And and I, you know, obviously the work I've been doing with clients and I'm still doing some work online with, with clients from a coaching, you know, coaching individuals and coaching teams. Right. Just also experiencing and noticing what, what's happening to them and the way in which they're managing and the different phases that people are going through. And, and, you know, I can talk about myself definitely around recognizing that there was kind of, I don't think it was a, the, the, the classic kind of change cycle, but it's not far off it. Yeah, I pretty well every emotion, but there was this kind of real heightened emotion initially, which was a kind of um, combination of "woe is me," can't believe this has just happened, um, uh, sadness, anger, frustration, all of that stuff. Yeah, and then of course, for me, my my optimism then starts to shine through very quickly, which is which is great to have it. Um, but I was then in, into, well, actually, I wonder what this could mean. I wonder what will be different about the future. So I was then start, kind of moved into this kind of curious phase of trying to understand what that could look like. Um, and at the same time, then just dealing with the day to day, you know, being here with uh, with my wife and kids, um, you know, trying to everybody's work out. Share the same space now so much. Yeah, de- yeah, definitely. And then, you know, recognizing friends and family members who, who may have uh, had COVID and some of whom are ill and just all the stuff that everybody's, everybody's going through and yeah, being 
probably like many other people, you know, a bit scared about what the world will be like when we, when we eventually, when we eventually come out. So just, um, let's just kind of, in terms of resilience, how would, how are you defining resilience? What does that mean to you? Well, well, I think for me, it's, uh, it's the ability to, for me, it's the ability to deal with change. Um, and, and, ad, and off, ob, obviously I think adverse situations. So I think it's a way in which, um, you kind of maintain a positive energy, um, that you remain competent at times of great change. Yeah. Um, almost that sense of being able to bounce back in a difficult situation when things get kind of tough, isn't it? So it's kind of, yeah and usually that is you know comes as a result of so big change happening you know like this all of a sudden you're one one minute getting ready to go on you know your normal holidays and now you're locked down and we're and there's no particular light at the end of the tunnel Um, yeah i think yeah i think it's that and i think it's a i remember you know uh, three or four years ago when i was working for a big retailer and i was doing some kind of really big sessions to about four or 500 people at a time around, we were talking about resilience. Mm. Now I can't remember the name of the bloke. I wish I could, but I, I remember pulling out a case study who was a, um, I think it was something like a professor of forestry, believe it or not at Harvard. Um, I'll get his details, but, but he, he did a study around um, looking at uh, forests and how, um, they dealt with change and it was interesting because there were some really nice comparisons he says his printer starts going um so the the kind of first thing that made me think of around kind of you know going back to nature was this idea of the ability for trees to bend and bend and not break right yeah that's a good good, um metaphor uh, of, uh, of resilience isn't it to break i think so not break yeah i like that yeah i really like that too and that that worked for me a lot and i recognize that in myself i mean i recognize in the times where my optimism um, and to some extent creativity has allowed me to flex mm. um but i've also recognized times where i have actually gone too far yeah. I've recognized that there's times where I've moved from being competent to being absolutely in survival mode yeah. to kind of shutting down yeah. all non-essential services right. and, and just surviving. Yeah. Um, I like yeah. that. Cause that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, um, when you have these periods of sort of massive change or you're in a difficult situation and, um, you are bending, 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 and some people will snap. And yeah, back. And resilience is how quickly can you spring back into uh, a position? <laughs> one where you're in a resourceful state, one where you can then start to be optimistic and look towards the future, um, and the like. And I know certainly when, when this first, because I'm, you know, probably, you know, we're probably very similar in terms of the sort of optimism bit. So I am a kind of you know, always look on the bright side of life kind of guy, you know, mighty, mighty Python. <laughs> um, and so when I saw this, I didn't see the, um, I didn't initially look at it as, oh man, the world has collapsed, gone to pot. I think it was later when I started looking at how um, economically this might fit and how things are shutting down and then how, how are we ever going to recover? 
So how do you get out of it? When I started, had that point when I was looking at that, I was like, well, now how do you turn the lights back on? When do you know when to start turning the lights back on? And, you know, everything you're reading about what's happened in China and Korea and places like that and how long it's taken them to, um, to get a handle on it and what they had to do to get a handle on it and the fact that we're not anywhere near that yet. So it just started looking very bleak and grim and like, all right, this is... Um, and it's going to be even more serious as, you know, as the, if the economy continues, you know, to take a beating from it. And so, yeah, yeah. I, had that, I had that gloom period. But then my bounce back bit was, oh, yeah, and I, you know, and I've seen the term, but then I think I like that term, the new normal. In fact, I had a little, I was making a coffee, getting ready to go out to do my sort of morning meditation thing in the garden. Yeah. And I was noticing that I was using the same rhythms that I'd done when, you know, when you just get ready, when it was life was normal. And I think, why am I still operating to this rhythm? And I know, you know, at some point in time, you see you and you read and things, and I probably even said as well, to try and mimic and stay close to the routines um, that you've had. But then I had that epiphany and I said, well, why? Why are we still working on that same rhythm? why not look at a different rhythm, a new rhythm, this new rhythm of time. And I think I did a blog post, uh, you know, readjusting my rhythm and relationship with time. Because um, we are in this sort of, you know, nine to five kind of industrial age thing that's still in play, even though we're no longer in an industrial age. And well, we kind of kept that same rhythm, but actually there's no need for that. And I think companies needing to be resilient and bounce back you know do they need to start rethinking the right. relationship to time and focusing on outcomes and not worrying so much about the time of day or what times that people are doing stuff at but more about how are people getting you know the output is there so yeah so that, then when i looked at that and i thought okay yeah what is going to be the new normal? what do i want my new normal to look like is that then where my thinking kind of shifted? Listening to you, Clay, I mean, I think the, the there's a couple of things in that that I think that I think are really interesting. So, I definitely have recognised my relationship with time is different, um, and I, I don't I don't really know. I can, I'm not sure I can actually articulate why. But what I what I can what I kind of notice about myself is that I've initially I was definitely playing out the same um, routines that I probably had before things before we were isolated um, for sure. And, and what I've noticed is that I've kept hold of some of those routines, but I've started to I guess you could kind of just kind of settle settle into the time more. Definitely mm -hmm. feel myself settling. Um, I don't, I think I'm probably getting up a little bit later. Um, I'm still, I might be going to bed a little bit later as well. I'm not sure, but I feel myself in general, just quite, um, reasonably at peace with, with time yeah. versus a normal routine. And the normal routine would be pretty well always fighting time, yeah. which is interesting. That's um, a phrase there, fighting time. You're right. You're yeah. Time. It, it, it feels that way. But then look, the other thing I've noticed, and I got this from a few from a few clients was I, was I was very surprised to see a number of really senior leaders in organizations who I was coaching um, really struggling 
with suddenly being at home. And I think that, you know, initially they, they kind of go into two camps. The first camp is leaders who end up replicating their normal corporate life, but in a home environment. Right. So what that looks like is, you know, on email from 6.30 in the morning and then on Microsoft Teams or Zoom calls from 8 o'clock through to 6 o'clock. <laughs> so yeah. that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's partly driven by them, but also partly driven by their organization, still trying to just keep people connected and everything. But that, that's, I've noticed that, and I don't know, there's something about it which doesn't feel like that's a good use of time. Um, and I'm not sure whether that's helpful for the individuals either. But the other thing I've noticed is uh, where there are leaders who are so used to deliver, so used to being permanently on, uh, permanently on the go, um, they have really struggled mm. with having more space. And the story I tell myself about that is that their struggle is one of... Um, having used time in the past, having used work, sorry, in the past, to not have to have to reflect on who they are and right. what's important to them. And I might be doing them, yeah, I might be doing them a really big disservice, but I kind of sense that because I, I know that's who I have been in the past, right. particularly in corporate life, just like being really busy, going from meeting to meeting, getting into the next project, you know, always in touch with your team, blah, blah, blah. Keeping busy was really important. And when I listened to that work by Brené Brown about the, the idea of um, numbing right. um, and that, you know, people use alcohol to numb um, and they, they may use drugs, but a lot of people use the stuff, everyday stuff like work to numb from their current reality. And so, yeah, so I was very thoughtful about whether for some people this has created a great opportunity to get closer to who they are, but in other cases that is an opportunity they don't want to take um, yeah. because they don't want to answer. They don't want to have to face in to try to answer some of those big questions about who am I? What, what am I really about? What's really important to me? And I imagine some leaders in that as well as struggling with the fact that I don't have sight on my team. Yeah. Yeah. I can't see them. I can't, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that they're all working, you know, I don't think they, they, whereas I could go to that particular division or place or in their office and I could see people now I don't see them yeah and what's happening but it's but so having my being able to have your finger on the pulse like some people are very hands-on for those hands-on leaders in that sort of sense how are they coping or maybe struggling with the fact that now that I don't have that I don't have the buzz of the office that I can hear the sounds of production going on I hear the phones ringing and people moving around and doing things whereas now I, you know if i'm lucky i may be here the kids downstairs moving about but i can't hear the sounds of production happening so what is that what's going through my mind at that point is yeah okay well i can't hear that what is happening and how do i know that it's that it's happening and um, yeah I, I get it and i think again from the different kind of situations here around a lot of the leaders I've dealt with in, in kind of the retail and healthcare background I was in, were, were all, many of them were remote leaders anyway. I mean, they were mm. area managers, regional managers, yeah. divisional directors. And there are 
thousands of those individuals out there that have had careers which have largely been denoted by being remote from the people that they lead and then developing very sophisticated, great ways of, you know, discharging their duties as a leader. And maybe we can get into that in a minute in terms of what on earth that is or what mm-hmm. they are. Um, whereas I think there are probably a lot of people out there who now have exactly as you said they've suddenly found themselves they've been used to being in i don't know let's make it up an open plan office but they've got their team who is sat on tables desks next to them and suddenly they haven't got that anymore Mm. and i think that that must be very hard to make that adjustment if you're not used to it because i remember even just learning remote leadership you know moving into area manager and regional manager roles it's a really big change to go from being able to actually physically be co-located to people to then suddenly not being and having to deal with that. So I really get that. Yeah, no, that's cool. So you had another sub question when it was about dealing with uncertainty, what sort of strategies or tactics do you use to, to deal with uncertainty? Yeah. So I've been doing some work uh, recently with, um, a, f- a friend of mine who I adore, uh, Helen Amory, her name is, and she's a she's a coach, and I'm sure she's going to hate me saying this, but I think she she's um, uh, she's definitely got a, a significant kind of spiritual dimension to her compared to me. You know, I'm your kind of a rational, cognitive individual, um, and and I would describe you know, things that get too spiritual as being a bit woo woo, uh, but she wouldn't, and in fact she. She has been um, a real inspiration to me uh, over probably the last year and certainly the last couple of weeks. I've been getting more involved with some of her work around um, the three principles, which I'm not going to dare to even talk about because it's like far too, um, far too complex and sophisticated. Yeah, I've Um, come across them, but yeah, you're right. Probably open up that can of worms. (laughs) Yeah, but but what I I would say is that she – has made me think a lot about um, the way in which we deal or try to deal with uncertainty. So I think at the heart of the way I'm thinking about uncertainty is um, less to do with planning and more to do with mindset and the kind of belief, which Mm -hmm. is this desire to control. Um, And I'm starting to form a different relationship uh, with my desire to control. Because in the past, the way I would deal with uncertainty would be rationally, with the rational mind, conceptual mind. I would go through and say, okay, what's going on here? What do I like about what's going on? What aren't I sure about? Okay, what do I want to happen next? Let's go. And whilst I do elements of that, because that's who I am, um, I have less attachment to trying to control situations. Because I kind of know that the notion of control is just that. It's just a notion. We don't really have control over many things at all Mm. and so that doesn't mean I don't plan I do plan but I have far less attachment to the outcomes of those plans okay so so for example right now I you know I've done a lot more work around as you have I'm sure and have many coaches have around right okay so the world has changed I can't physically be co-located with my clients and if you're a team coach I do a lot of team coaching as well you have to learn to work out how you can offer your services in a virtual environment. So I haven't, you know, thrown myself to this kind of idea of fatalism where I'm just saying, oh, well, it'll be what it'll be. I'm still planning and saying, right, okay, what's it going to take for me 
to um you know be a team coach in a virtual environment what are the steps i could take what would they look like and i'm still doing that kind of stuff but you know i'm not holding it really tightly to say and therefore you know it will absolutely all work out and it will go in the right direction and i'll figure it out because actually in a week's time in a day's time in an hour's time in three months time in a year's time things will be different again the environment we're operating will be different so i try not to get too attached to the outcome but i still do this um, and again this is from john whittington actually mm. this idea of a step towards better so what would be the one thing that you could do right now that could be a step towards better and i love the idea of that so mm. so I yeah that's a good question what's the step to to better i like that say that again yeah what's the step towards better so um I like that too. And I find that for people, for individuals who feel that they need to develop a massive plan. All right, we just lost Andy there for a second. He's frozen on master plan. Let's see if we get him back in a minute. Start. It starts with it definitely starts with how do I manage myself through uncertainty? It starts with letting up a bit, loosening up around the desire to be in control because I kind of know that doesn't really exist. Yeah. Um, and that's my kind of, that's my kind of start of a 10 really. Um, so. And I think I've, I have a sort of similar, I mean, I guess for me in terms of, what do you think? yeah, I've, uh, I, I'm very, present focus and I don't tend to think too much future focus or how as you say the outcome of how something might turn out so I'm kind of um a present focused kind of guy and I don't know if some of that's come from some of my sort of army training and that kind of aspect where you know uncertainty is just a part of the game and to to sort of um deal with it um, you know, it's just, yeah, it becomes an environment that you operate in is uncertainty because the battlefield's unpredictable and all of that. So you just get kind of used to dealing with it as a, as a factor. Um, and I think some of it's also the whole stoic principles as well um, in terms of it, focusing on the things that you can control and letting go of the things that you can't control. And there's only generally like two things that you can control, which is your own feelings and what's happening in, in your mind. So most everything outside of that, you, while you may influence a little bit, you can't control the outcome. And so that's always kind of helped me deal with sort of uncertainty. And I think sometimes I do, you know, you can, yeah, and I'm, you know, human sometimes you kind of, I can slip out of that, space and stare at the abyss and think uh, but that doesn't last very long because uh, again it's just not wired to wired that way i think so while it'll come i'll have that flash and i might have that but then it quickly goes and i'm back here present wise yeah i think <laughs> i had this thing which is really, really and you, it was uh and this just kind of, I guess, got me through my army career as well. And is that it'll all come out in the wash. So I just had this belief that yeah, it'll, it'll work out how it needs to work out. So let's just get on and deal with what's in front of us. Because you know, it's yeah, 
Do you think that you think your that kind of attitude of mind was developed probably largely forged in the 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 experience you went through in the army? I think so. I think I think I came into the army in a different space, and then I was struggling a lot. And I can remember the exact place I was and what I was doing when I said enough is enough and I'm never going to be that way again. <laughs> I can right now, even as I'm saying it, I remember I was on the quad and I was right next to Eisenhower barracks and I was carrying it along. And then I just, something in me just went, this is just ridiculous how you are. Um, and then life just shifted from, <laughs> from that, that sort of space. Um, yeah, and I, and again, it was there was an interesting experience that, and then from that moment on, it was um, my focus and where my focus was and where my attention was is probably the better word to say um, was on where I was at and what I was doing, kind of space. Yeah, you know, stuff. I'm inter- I'm interested. I'm definitely interested by that, Clay, because the. The, the bit that really resonates there in particular for me is this, this idea of, well, in a way, how difficult it is to stay in the present, how difficult it is to, to, to be anchored in the now, even though it's the most natural thing. And in fact, there isn't really anything else. You know, the past is just when I was in the present some time ago, and the future is when I'm going to be in the present in the future. But you're always in the present, and I'm interested by that. But the, it is hard. You know, it can be really tough. And you know, I recognize it more because so somebody put it really well. Um, no, a guy called Noah Rashita, who, who heads up a podcast, which I really like called secular Buddhism. And I was interested in this and he, he, he gave a really great example of this idea of a, it's like a train journey. He said, you know, when you're on a train and you're on a long journey, you kind of don't remember the bits between stations. You might remember the station stops but you don't remember all the stuff in between. And and that really made me think a lot about, God, yeah, actually, most of the time in the past I've been on automatic, particularly in the corporate world, I was constantly focused on getting to that next meeting, getting to that, to that next big milestone for a project, looking at whatever that outcome would be. Um, and I think that translates more to where we are now as well, you know, as, we, as we're both sat here knowing that the is it the 7th of May as being the kind of uh, potential date when we get, yeah. we get released. Yeah. yeah. And, and so like, no, no, it's so easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, <laughs> but it's like, but it's like that. It's that, it's that sense of how easy would it be to get completely focused on the 7th and rightly so, because there's a lot to do if mm. as, and when we get, we start to warm, warm the economy and um, uh, people back up again. But, but actually, isn't it human nature to then focus on that versus focusing on the fact that it's a beautiful day today um, and there is so much to do and so much opportunity all of the time, even if we are in isolation. It's, you know, the people I know that are um, really inhabiting the now are the people that are doing, they're doing stuff with their time brilliantly and they're not really worried about what's coming up. They're just thinking about how they can have the best day today. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe make today better than yesterday. And I love, I love that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, and as you were saying that, I was thinking, um, so am I that narrow in my moment? I, so is there, if I say the phrase to you, live for the now, 
Yeah. Because for me, that has a, almost maybe a slightly... I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Cause I, I think I live through the now, so very short term issue in my thinking, not long term. Think I don't think out to the future or plan so far out. Um, but I'm not always in a sort of Zen kind of Taoist kind of way where I'm literally just right here on this call with you and nervous and yeah. aware of everything that's around me. But equally, I'm not thinking about tomorrow or Friday or the weekend like people ask oh, what are you doing this weekend I was like well is it Friday yet because <laughs> I don't yeah. usually think that I mean I, I'm probably maybe as far out that I go as maybe a day <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you ask me what's happening on the weekend I have no idea it's not you know, Friday yet like Ruth always you know gives me some stick as well because I don't you know it's, it's, yeah she'll ask me what are you doing because she needs to know those kind of things she has to plan she has to have all that kind of mapped out. Uh, and for me, it's like, well, it's not here yet. Almost the manufacturing, just in time. I have a just in time yeah, mind. <laughs> well, you sound very, I think that sounds like a great privilege. I think that sounds great that you've got that. I, I, I see less of a, yeah, I, I don't know about the time frame of around what now means for me, but I do know that I catch myself stuck in the past or the future quite often and i'm trying to work on that more to just acknowledge it not try to manage it in any way but just try to be aware of it and i you know even with a bit of client delivery i had yesterday and i had a really big kind of team coaching session for a for for an important client they're all important but for a particularly important client right now and you know i caught myself even the weeks beforehand suddenly imagining what the call would be like right um, and telling myself stories, sometimes those stories were good, sometimes those stories were bad. And so, so I kind of recognize that I, that I do that, and I would rather not do that. And I'm trying to work on not stopping it, because in, in attempting to stop it, in fact, if anything, you give it more strength. Yeah. But just trying to recognize it and acknowledge it. And often what I find is that if I can just do the whole, huh, that's interesting, I'm, I'm telling myself a story about something that hasn't happened yet. I wonder why I'm doing that. Yeah. That can be enough for it to just disappear. Yeah. Um, but eventually it will come, it'll come back. So I think for many people that practice mindfulness, I've practiced it. I find it hard to do regularly. But for those people that do do it regularly, I think, you know, it feels like that's helping to train the mind. Yeah. To yeah. recognize and follow the thoughts. You know, a good way to get in the habits of that, the mind yeah. is, and I know some people I hate this, but, just think about tech. Now, I got a couple of apps that uh, you, know, you get your notification to notice what's around you. So it's just kind of random. Like a, um, it's called Reporter is one of the apps I use. You just get a random text on your phone, and then you just notice what's around you at the time. It, it forces you to stop. The idea is to record what you're doing. Love that take a picture of it or just just to note what you're thinking what you're feeling what you're doing at some random time and then because you recorded in your in this app then you can go back and look over time some of your different patterns that may reoccur um in terms of you know consistently you seem to be in this space or thinking about this thing whatever that might be um and regardless of the time of day so it's, it's really good um, for that but it's also good for you know just documenting 
um, your life as well. And a moment ago, I just reached back to pull this book as you were talking about um, the past and the future we live. And it's uh, by a guy named Richard Moss. And it's called The Mandala of Being. Uh, nice. I don't know if you've come across, but Discovering the Power of Awareness is the uh, subtitle of that. And he talks a lot about the, you know, yeah, the mind is either in the past or you're in the future, but how do you bring yourself back to your awareness of the space that, that you're in? Um, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, I think that just takes you, it's a constant uh, dialogue with yourself. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. It's, it's not, I mean, it's just the nature of the mind, isn't it? So it's just that constant dialogue, recognizing it, being aware of it, um, and then doing the things like, start to notice where you are or rewrite the story. I often tell people when that a coach in that same space that, you know, when they're worried about stuff and things like that. Um, again, there's a story that they're playing in their mind. They're imagining it. And it's just part of the way that we're wired. Uh, it's our gift and our curse that we have an imagination. Um, and so we imagine the worst that could happen so that we could do something about it in the present helps us to survive. Um, but then you are making a story and imagining the worst that can happen. So change your thinking to tell a different story. What is it that you want to happen? Uh, yeah. Would be the outcome that you would be after and to focus on that. And I always say, because that's easier said than done, that in both cases you don't know, it's all fiction either way. <laughs> so yeah. the story that you're yeah. telling, the worst is going to happen, and the story that you're telling, this is how I wanted it, it's, it's all fiction until you know you're here in the present so if it's all fiction anyway you're at liberty to make up whatever story you want to to make up and not yeah. be attached to the story because it's just made up anyhow um, so yeah yeah I, I get that and I think I, I kind of struggle sometimes with the the element of the kind of positive visioning thing which is about imagine the future you want to be and you'll you know you'll be it um and I do often kind of struggle with, I don't know, I just, I'm not sure how accessible that is for people. I think, I don't know whether that's true. I'm not actually sure whether that, that is true, whether that just that sheer act of imagining the future you desire can, can make a difference. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one, because there is the whole idea of the power of intention, like the stuff yeah. that Dr. Wayne Dyer does, and, you know, imagine. So I think some of it's... Um, so there's a couple of components, isn't it? Like some people think, well, I just imagine that it's going to happen. Um, the greatest, but one of the funniest like memes, I guess it wasn't a meme, but I'll call it a meme now. Um, and it's a, a guy that um, wants, he's praying to God to win the lottery. And the lottery comes around on the Wednesday or whatever, and he doesn't win. And so he starts cursing, you know, God and I, or we don't listen to my prayers. And then God just answers. He's like, <laughs> you know, if you want me to help you, basically, you got to buy the ticket. <laughs> um, so it was one of these, you've got to take some action, basically. You can, you know, pray and imagine, and, but you've got to do stuff towards it. I think with the, the um, and, and, and I have, do you, are you a motorcycle rider? No. no, no. I always wanted to be. My mum never would let me, my mum would never let me have a bike. Okay. Well, I really wanted one. When you're uh, getting your motorcycle license and you're learning to negotiate a curb and you're learning to negotiate an obstacle, 
the, uh, your instructor tells you to focus on where you want to go, not what you're trying to yeah, do. So if there's an option, yeah, that's nice. look at it, the bike is going to go there because your body's making the adjustments to take you where you're looking. So look where you want yeah. to go. I think that's what the, for me, imagining the future is looking at where you want to go so that your subconscious and whatever else starts making those micro adjustments to, to get you there. But if you focus on the other thing, as Henry Ford said, you know, obstacles are the things you focus on when you take your eye off the eyes. And it's that kind of thing for me in my relationship to focusing on the future, I think. Yeah. You made me think about, you made me think about somebody that said once about this um, kind of, we're talking about positive and assertive instructions. And um, he said, it's the difference between asking a dog to sit versus asking a dog to not stand. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I think I get it. And I do, I do like the idea of, of the, yeah, definitely seeing the future in a more positive way. But as you say, recognizing and knowing that, that actually it's all fiction. It's all fiction. It's all a series of stories mm. that you're, that you're, that you're making up. Um, and the problem yeah. for many of us, I think, is that we start, we just start to believe those stories. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, and I've never done anything with this, but I always ask myself the question, why do we find it easier to make up the negative story? So why do we find it easier to imagine the worst that's going to happen? And we're focused on now, oh, this is going to happen here. And, yeah. and we don't have any faith or belief in making up the other story, the positive bit of it. Yeah. Um, I guess someone said to me, focus on a negative bit, then when it does come out, you're not so disappointed. But if you focus on the positive thing and it doesn't happen, then the disappointment's 10 times worse kind of thing, which I don't, I don't, I don't buy into that philosophy, but that's how, what someone's. No. That sounds like a, that as an old boss of mine would say, that sounds like a kind of playing to avoid losing versus playing to win thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the negative bias is a biggie and I think I definitely have become more aware of it. I mean, I think it's just survival. I mean, I think we, we, I can't remember what the saying is now, but I know that we, we kind of have godlike technology. Um, but our brains are still hardwired for us to be in forests and that's a, That's the reality of it. And yeah. I think therefore, I, I think maybe the negative bias is all about survival and, we've been taught to look for those things that can create danger for us. Um, I think therefore we, we naturally do that. Yeah. And that's interesting that you say that. And and we could probably go, you and I will get wax lyrical forever and ever. So we probably should probably get ready to close, close down now, but you just made me think about, you know, tapping back into our natural self, not denying who you are and your nature and, um, and recognize that, yeah, those, those skills are hardwired into it then how do you use those skills to your advantage as opposed to um only letting the negative sides of those skills have prominence yeah cool buddy this has been a great conversation um i've enjoyed this as always any final thing yeah thanks to wrap up in yeah Cool. So good stuff. Um, all right, man. So be resilient. <laughs> Keep your mind focused on where it is that you want to head to, where you want to go, and then make those necessary adjustments to 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 get there. So yeah. 